The passing of this week's parasha says, and it's very interesting shir tonight, it's based on a sikha from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Pasuk says, Reishis bikurei ad mascha, tavi beis Hashem alokecha, lo sevashel gedi b'chalei mo. So the first bikurim, the first fruits that are ripe in your land, you should bring to the beis HaMikdash. And then right away it says, in the same Pasuk, lo sevashel gedi b'chalei mo. You should not cook a kid in its mother's milk. What halacha is that? That's the halacha of basar b'chalav. You're not allowed to have meat and milk together. The Torah has many boundaries. The topic of tonight's shir is boundaries. What does healthy and appropriate boundaries look like? This is very important in general in relationships and specifically in Yiddishkeit. Some of the boundaries that we see in Yiddishkeit are things like tahor and tameh, right? Um, Kodesh and chol, that which is holy and that which is profane. Mutter and aser. Right? Those are all boundaries that we have in Yiddishkeit. There are species that are not allowed to be mixed. Okay? Because there are boundaries. So, for example, we have a halacha of called kalayim. Right? Kalayim, for example, would be you're not allowed to crossbreed different species. You know that there's an isser, you're not allowed to crossbreed different species? You're not allowed to necessarily graft or sow different plant species together even, okay? Uh, shotness, you're not allowed to mix wool and linen together, okay? These are all examples of boundaries in the Torah, right? We have all these different boundaries. So just like we have Kodesh and Chol, Mutter and Aser, Tahar and Tameh, we also have different species. Different species should remain different species, and that's the same thing when it comes to Basar B'Chalav. Basar should remain Basar, and Chalav should remain Chalav. Okay? And what's the reason for this? What's the reason? You know, we always ask ourselves, like, what's the reason behind the halacha? What's the reason for this? So there's a Ramban, a very fascinating, very beautiful Ramban. It's a Yesodistic Ramban. What was that? I thought we don't know the reason. Okay, so the Ramban offers reasons, even if, let's say, the deepest reason behind some of the chukim we can't understand, but some of it is still within the realm of the rational. Like, for example, you see Rashi gives a, gives a reason for para aduma. Even though ultimately para aduma is a chok, there are reasons that we can offer. So the Ramban says that Hashem created the species of the world, and He wanted, Hashem wants each species to remain its own kind. And if you crossbreed different species, if you take two different species and you mash them together, so that's a violation of creation. And so the Ramban says we're meant to respect the boundaries of creation. We're not, we're not, that's a, that's a beautiful topic, but we're not discussing that topic now. Yeah? It's a, it's, you have a, that's a good question in general. You could ask that about anything in the Torah. Right now we're just staying on the topic of Kalayim. Okay? So, where are there exceptions and where are there no exceptions? So this is where we're going to start to do some heavy lifting tonight. So you got to pay attention just to make sure you get the problem. When it comes to shotness, there are exceptions to the rule. For example, the Big Day Kahuna the priestly garments, are made of wool and linen. Tzitzis, for example, are made of wool and linen. So the first example that we see that even though things are meant to be in their own separate boundaries, when it comes to the big day kahuna and when it comes to tzitzis, the boundaries are able to be merged together. And wool and linen could be put together. Okay, Kilayim, 
crossbreeding animals has no exceptions. Right? There are no exceptions to that rule. But what's fascinating is what about by Basar Bechalov? Are there exceptions to this rule or not? So let's look at the Pasuk carefully. The Pasuk seems to have two totally different themes in it. I'm surprised nobody picked up on this. You picked up on it? Good for you. Ah, okay, good. You should bring the Bikurim to the Beis HaMikdash. You should not cook a kid in its mother's milk. What's the obvious question here? What does one have to do with the other? Those seem to be, if you put those two things in the same Pasuk, they seem to be two very different themes. Why do they put it together? So the Medrash asks this question. And the Medrash gives the following very radical answer. You have to be a little bit of a Gemara cup for this. You might have thought that you could mix Basar B'chalav together for the cooking of Kudshim. Comes along the Pasuk to tell you, even for Kudshim, you can't have Basar B'chalav. Let's say there's things in the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? So, so now, so let's say for example, if we look now at the three categories, right? So we have as follows. Category number one is shotness. Shotness has exceptions to the rule. Right? What are the exceptions to the rule? Big Day Kahuna and Tzitzis. Kilayim, crossbreeding different species, no exceptions to the rule. Basar B'chalav is in the middle. So that's what the Medrash is telling us. The Medrash tells us Basar B'chalav is in the middle. You might have thought that it was like shotness, and therefore there should be an exception. The Pasa comes along to tell you that there are no exceptions to the rule. And Basar B'chalav is Asr. I'll say it again, make sure everybody gets the problem. Yeah? We have in front of us the topic of boundaries. What are appropriate boundaries? Remember, the Ramban says everything in the world that Hashem created needs to be respected as it is. That's the whole point of the Isser of Klein. We don't want you crossbreeding different species because you're not respecting the boundaries that Hashem created for the world. You're not respecting the species. When it comes to Kalayim, there are no exceptions. When it comes to Shatnis, mixing wool and linen, there are two exceptions. Big Day Kahuna and Tzitzis. Which one is Basar B'chalav? Is it like Shatnis or is it like Kalayim? So the Medrash says, we would have thought that it was like shotness, and that maybe you would be allowed to cook meat and milk in the Beis HaMikdash for Achilles Kadshim. Kamash Malan, no. It's like Kalayim, and there are no exceptions. So the obvious question is, what does any of this mean? Why is it that there could be exceptions by shotness? Why is it that there are no exceptions by Kalayim? And why is it that we might have thought there was an exception by Basar B'chalav, but in the end there's not? Okay? In order to explain this, before I get to the actual answer, which is a, a difficult answer to understand, I want to just start off by talking about the concept of boundaries in general. And we're going to talk about it from the realm of marriage. In marriage, the Pasuk tells us what's the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is to become one. Right? or what we're going to refer to for the rest of the year as intimacy, right? Intimacy means that you have become one with your husband, that your husband has become one with you. 
But there is a very big danger in the concept of intimacy if you don't understand intimacy properly. What's the danger of intimacy? Some people think that in order to become one with someone else, they need to stop being themselves. They can lose themselves to another, and because they lose themselves to another, they think they're in a state of intimacy. But actually, it's exactly the opposite. Because if you stop being you, then who is your husband married to? Does that make sense? So if you're not yourself, then who's your husband married to? So you need to be you, firmly planted in your own soil. And your husband needs to be him, firmly planted in his own soil. And from this place of two people that are confident and uniquely themselves, what can they now create? This third thing, which is the merging of both things, right? To be a husband and a wife doesn't mean I'm me and she's her and never the twain shall meet. And it also doesn't mean that I'm no longer myself and she's no longer herself. It means that we have to be ourselves and we also have to be more than ourselves. Or the way that one rabbi put it, which I like very much, is a man and a woman cannot get married. But if a man is a man and a woman is a woman, then the man can become a husband and the, wife, and the woman can become a wife. And husbands and wives can get married. Does that make sense? So if you're not you, or if you think you have to abandon being yourself in order to become one with another, that's not a great relationship. That's not a relationship that's going to work. What would be an example of this? What would it look like to have an example of losing yourself to a relationship? So here's a good example. A husband comes home from work and he's had a very hard day. And the wife can see that the husband is agitated. She can see, ever notice about people that they're just like at their wit's end? And she could see that if anything goes wrong in the house, he's really going to lose his temper. And so all of a sudden she grabs the kids and she's like, okay, let's go. Everyone's upstairs. We're taking baths right now. Everything is going to be perfect, right? Because if everything is not perfect, what's going to happen? He's going to lose it. And she's not going to be okay if he's not okay. You understand? So what does she do? Because she's... I'm not okay if he's not okay. So now she's going to do her best to control everything in the house to make sure that everything in the house is okay. But can she do that? Well, she could do it for maybe some time, but probably all the time it's not going to work. So really what's happened is that she's lost herself to him. Now let's play the scenario out a little bit differently now. Okay, She is her, firmly planted in her own soil. And her husband comes home. And she sees that her husband is not okay. But she is okay even if her husband is not okay because she's firmly planted in her own soil. Now, does she need to control everything that happens in the house? And if something happens and it triggers her husband, whose problem is that? It's his problem, right? And if there's impact on the family, then from a deep place of self, you know what she can do? She can communicate to him and say... I can totally appreciate and understand that you had a hard day. And yet, 
we need to make sure that our home is a safe place for our children. So if you feel like you need to take some time before you come home to gather yourself, that's understandable. Do you hear the difference? In one case, because she was okay, she was capable of communicating. She was capable even of letting things fall apart a little bit, knowing that just because things fall apart doesn't mean that they're over. Right? Yeah? So far so good? If you're not okay with another person being not okay, that means in a certain sense you've lost your sense of self to another. And that relationship cannot last. It cannot hold. So in the three-ring circus of a marriage, you have to be your ring, he has to be his ring, and then there's this ring in the middle of two people in self create a space together where they each can dwell. Does that make sense? Hashem creates a world of boundaries for a reason. When the Ramban tells us that we have to learn to respect the boundaries of this world, the Ramban is not just telling us, like, appreciate that God made a cow, and don't try to make a cow into something else. Don't try to make a horse into something else. The Ramban is telling us that as people, we have to be people that respect boundaries, that respect things as they are, and we don't try to convolute boundaries. Now, I'm going to speak in a sneeze way, and I'm asking you girls not to make comments. But we live in a world today where all boundaries are being thrown out the window on every level. This is the attack that's happening in the world today. We don't have to get into specific examples because I'm sure everyone in their own mind can conjure up specific examples. Does that make sense? So let's say um, there are some things that are very beautiful. Uh, There's a concept of doctors without borders. Yeah, that's very beautiful. Doctors can go all over the place. But borders and boundaries are a healthy thing. So let's say, for example, in America today, there's a big debate about immigrants. How should an immigrant come into the country? Should we be able to have in America strong borders? Now, some of you clearly have opinions on that, right? And I'm sure other people have differing opinions. But the point is this. We should be able to agree that countries have borders and laws for a reason. What happens to a world where all boundaries and borders are thrown out the window? It's chaos. Because it means that we can't respect each other's differences. Because there's great dignity in difference. So for example, in a world of healthy boundaries, I get to say, you are different than me, and I respect the fact that you're different than me. And because I'm uniquely me, firmly planted in my own soil, and you're uniquely you, firmly planted in your own soil, we could create a shared space together. But what happens is that the less boundaries that are made, actually the less shalom there is. Because the world is a fragmented place. But the goal of harmonizing the world is not to make everyone the same. The goal of harmonizing the world is to see the inner unity of all things that are different and remain different. You don't want your husband to lose himself to you because then who are you married to? The beauty of marriage is only seen in the difference between you and your husband. That's what's amazing. My wife has this great line. She says, the people who, the people who get divorced might say, I'm so much happier now that I got divorced. Right? Again, assuming that the divorce wasn't for, let's say, 
because there was an abusive or immoral component in the relationship. It's just people who were, let's say, deeply unhappy in their marriage, and now they got divorced, and now they're happier. So my wife says, she's like, it's easy to be happy when there's no conflict. But the goal was to figure out how to be happy even when there is conflict, right? The goal was to learn how to stay engaged when things have deeply moved apart from each other. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's a really sophisticated and profound concept. We think that our job in this world, and this is true, we think our job in this world, as a Jew, we believe that our job in the Jew, as, as a Jew in the world is to show the inner unity of all things, right? Every single thing in the world, even scientifically, do you realize this? Even scientifically, it's not so obvious that things in the world are different from each other. Did you know that? Right, because like ultimately all things are made from like certain basic elements. And they've just sort of formed into the various things that we have today. But really, at its core, all things are one. This is what they're looking for in science today. They're looking for the theory of everything to show how one thing really combines all things. Now in Judaism, we've been expecting this because we've been saying since the beginning of time that all things are really expressions of Hashem in this world. So we know that there's an inner unity. But the danger of unity is saying in order for there to be unity, there needs to be conformity. No, that's not unity. Unity is when you have all of these various particulars, but the particulars still come together. So now let's look again at this notion of Kilayim, Shatnis, and Basabachalov. In Kilayim, if you crossbreed two species, what do you now have? You now have a species that on an essential level did not exist before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? You took two different species, two different animals, you mated those animals, and in mating them, you violated the essential levels of boundaries that exist. This animal is supposed to create itself. Instead, it created something fundamentally different. Yeah? If, if, like, let's say that were to happen unnaturally, like, by, like with a scientist or something, would that be considered like Hashem didn't create that creature? No, no, again, I'm not, that's, that's a fascinating question in Kabbalah of like what happens when we do things and what's the elokus that's within that thing and how do the osios of the Bria get in there? That's a fascinating question, but it's going to take us too far afield. But it's a beautiful question. I'm saying, I'm saying a very simple thing, very pashat thing. Two species that mix together, if somebody mates them together, they created something that was not meant to exist. They violated the boundaries on an essential level. So far, so good? Is that true of shotness? When you mix wool and linen? No. When you mix wool and linen, wool remains wool, and linen remains linen, right? Now, in general, the Torah tells us you have to be very careful. Things have boundaries. Wool should be wool, and linen should be linen, right? Because wool represents chesed, and linen represents gvura, and we don't have to get into the Kabbalah of it, but these represent two different things, and they're not supposed to be mixed. But... Because when you do mix them, they do retain their independent identity. And therefore, comes along the Torah and says, if you're using them, this is a key point now, if you're using them for purposes of Kedusha, then it's Mutter. Like, for example, by Tzitzis. Like for Big Day Kahuna. Because Shatnis would be the perfect mushal for a marriage. 
The wool remains wool, the linen remains linen, but if it's for the purposes of Kedusha, they come together, and yet they still retain their own independent identity. So when it comes to things that are usr, wool and linen should not be mixed. Only a husband and a wife should be mixed, right? But in general, the species need to remain separate. But if it's for the purposes of Kedusha, what does that mean? It means each one retains their own independent identity, but they become one. That's a super important point. So now we've seen as follows. Remember, in unhealthy boundaries, you lose yourself. What example is that in Halacha? That's Kalayim. Don't crossbreed different species. You're making things that shouldn't exist. You're not respecting the boundaries of creation. Shotness is wool and linen. Do wool and linen really violate their ba- They're really on an essential level. Does it violate their boundaries? No. Wool remains wool and linen remains linen. If it's not for the purposes of Kedusha, that's not a good mixture. That's like inappropriate. When men and women who aren't married with each other and they get together with each other, that's not appropriate, right? There has to be a division here, a healthy division. But if it's for the purposes of Kedusha, then of course, of course that's a good thing. Because wool remains wool and linen remains linen. Now we get to the question of meat and milk. So which one, not thinking out loud, just thinking to yourself for a second, which one is meat and milk more like? We can kind of see it both ways, no? Because on the one hand, maybe you'll say it's like kalayim, right? Because two things are coming together and they're impacting each other on an essential level. Or maybe you'll say, no, meat is still meat and milk is still milk, but the meat taste has been infused within the milk and the milk taste has been infused within the meat. So now you see why the Medrash had to tell you that you might have thought that meat and milk was like shotness. That meat still is meat and milk still is milk and therefore what? used for the purposes of Kedusha, it would have been mutter. But comes along the Torah and tells us, no, if meat and milk are cooked together, from our purposes, the way that we see it, it's like it's this inseparable mass. It's now this new thing called a cheeseburger. And we can't separate the cheese from the burger. So it's like kalayim, and therefore it's never mutter. You hear the, that's a, it's an unbelievable word because it teaches us the basics of boundaries in a relationship. I'm looking at something, I say, Kalayim, that's never good. I can't lose myself to the other person. Shotness could be good within the context of Kedusha. But what happens when it's somewhere in between? This is, by the way, for most of us, we live in the world of Basr Bakalov, right? It's like, I don't know, is this relationship healthy or unhealthy? Am I losing myself? I'm certainly impacted by the relationship. Have we become one mass that's indistinguishable from each other? Are we just impacting each other? It's very hard to know. And here's the monkey wrench. And this is the part that I was keeping in my back pocket just for this moment. You ready for it? There's an unbelievable Rabbeinu Bechaya. If I didn't know that this Rabbeinu Bechaya was real, I would tell you it doesn't exist. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says... In the world of Mashiach, you'll be able to eat basar b'chalav. And that seems to undo every single thing we just said in this year. 
There's only one monkey wrench, right? We just got done. Beautiful shear. Kalayim, you're making a new species. Not good to have a new species. Shotness, you could have it because they each retain their own independent identity. Basar Bechalav, it's like, I could see it both ways. Is it like Shotness? Because the Basar remains Basar and the Chalav remains Chalav, but they've been impacted by each other. Or no, it's this new thing called Basar Bechalav, and therefore it's like Kalayim, and that's what the Torah tells us. Basar Bechalav is always Asr, even for the purposes of Kedusha and the Beis HaMikdash. So then why does the Rabbeinu Bechayah say that one day it will be Mutter? Imagine, in the world of Mashiach, we should all be davening for Mashiach. In the world of Mashiach, we're going to walk in to a, a restaurant. We're going to walk into a, not just one of these Jewish restaurants. I was in a restaurant in Miami called Fuego. You see, some of you are from Miami, you know? Fuego is delicious. And I uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to sit with the owners of the restaurant. They, uh, they took me out to eat. And, um, and they were sampling all these new parv cheeses. And they made me like a real cheeseburger. And I was sitting there going like, this is what I've been waiting for. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have strange Yetzaharas. I don't know why that's such a big Yetzahara for me, but I want to have like a cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, every guy, anytime I'm on YouTube, do you ever do this? Do you ever go on YouTube and like just see like all these like things that they make? Goyim have cheese on everything. Meatballs have cheese in them. Like every single thing has cheese on it. So I wanted my whole life. I've been waiting to have like a cheeseburger, but now I know it's like a kosher cheeseburger. I want to have. I I want to cook a kid in his mother's milk. That's what I want. I want in in the times of Mashiach. I want to be sitting there with a cheeseburger, and I want to know that this burger was cooked in its mother's milk. You know, I mamish want it. Like I want it on it. You look at me like I'm crazy. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I have my Yetzaharas. You have yours. Don't judge. Yeah, you're judging me. I can see you're judging me. I'm judging you for judging me. Don't judge me. Yeah. I want a nice toasted brioche bun, you know, the whole nine yards, guacamole. I want butter. I want a buttered bun. That's what I want. I want it mamish like the Goyim. I want to have, I want to, they have that wheel that the butter is on and they put the, you know what I'm talking about? You could tell I spent some time on this, yeah? <laughs> What's the pshat in this Rabbeinu Bechaya? It's an unbelievable Rabbeinu Bechaya. So we'll finish up with this. There's two reasons that Yemosa Mashiach are different. The first is that remember, in Yemosa Mashiach, in Olam Haba, there is no such thing as Chol. Everything is Kodesh. There is no such thing as mundane. In the world of Mashiach, in Olam Haba, we will be able to understand that the entire world is really an expression of Hashem. And therefore nothing could be not part of Hashem. Nothing could be ungodly. So of course a cheeseburger is going to be okay. But there's a second reason. And this is the reason that I really want to bring out. Right now, in our world, we can't access. We look at these two forces that have been combined, and we go, they're combined. That's it. We don't know how to separate them. So we look at Basar Bechalav and we say, it's like Kalayim. It's two forces, and you destroyed nature's boundaries. But really, really... If you think deeply about it, Basar is always Basar and Chalav is always Chalav on a quintessential level. Meaning, we can't perceive the difference between the Basar and the Chalav. It's not like in Kalayim. In Kalayim, you're taking two different species and you're making a brand new species. 
In Basar B'chalav, you're not really making a new species called Basar B'chalav. It's just that we can't tell the difference between where the Basar ends and the Chalav begins. Or when the Chalav ends and the Basar begins. But in the times of Mashiach, where we're going to be able to see to the essence of all things, and we're going to see to the depths of creation, and you'll be able to see the spiritual essence of all things, when you look at a cheeseburger in Yemosa Mashiach, what will you see? You'll be able to see where the Basar begins and the Chalav ends. You'll be able to see where the Chalav begins and the Basar ends. You know why? Because in the world of Mashiach, there will be true harmony. And in true harmony, you're always going to be able to distinguish between one thing and another, and to be able to see their inner unity. So in Yemosa Mashiach, when you look at a cheeseburger, you'll be able to say, I can see that on a quintessential level, that's cheese and that's meat. And I can see how the cheese and the meat could come together and it could still retain its own cheese identity and its own meat identity. And this is the highest level of a relationship that could occur. The highest level, and this is the level that we all aspire to in our relationships. It's what we're preparing ourselves for in seminary, so that one day when we're married, we're going to have these ideas rock solid inside of ourselves. That's what we do. It's to know my husband is my husband. And he is his own quintessential thing. He belongs to himself. And I'm me. And I'm something unique and independent, and I belong to myself. And we're so thoroughly fused together (coughs) that we're truly one, but within our oneness, you're still able to perceive the unique identity of both of us. In other words, in Yemosa Mashiach, were we able to see the meat is the meat, and the cheese is the cheese. But I can see how they can fuse together and still maintain their identity. That is the ultimate goal of a relationship. The ultimate goal of a relationship, I hate to say it like this, but the ultimate goal of a relationship is to be a cheeseburger in Yemosa Mashiach. It's a funny thing to say, but if you think deeply about it, it makes sense. I'm me and he's him. And we're also one. But even in our oneness, you can always perceive our own unique identity. And that is a deep thing to aspire to. If you ever want to look at one of your relationships and wondering, why am I struggling in this relationship? I could share with you the answer right now. It's because somewhere along the line there was a boundary violation. If there's a fight in a relationship, if there's a conflict in a relationship, I can guarantee you it's because somewhere along the line somebody violated their boundaries. Somebody lost themselves to the other person. They didn't know how to maintain that oneness and their uniqueness at the same time. We should all be blessed to be in healthy relationships where we're firmly planted on our own soil, we're totally one with the other, but even within our oneness, you can still perceive our uniqueness.